Flying Coach is back for a second season. Peter Schrager and Rams head coach Sean McVay are joined by guests from around the sports and entertainment world. They're discussing the latest NFL news, telling stories from their careers, and breaking down games from their unique perspectives. Check out Flying Coach Season 2 on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to Baseball Barbecue, the only podcast on the Ringer Podcast Network who is looking to wander in the desert for 40 years, Jordan. We'll keep wandering. That's fine with me. Yes, yes. I'm sure wandering, that'll be a good a good headline uh, if wandering signs an extension. Wandering for another X number of years. What a treat it would be to have Wander Franco on your baseball team. It is indeed Wander Day. If Wander Franco signs a 40-year contract with the Diamondbacks, Wander in desert 40 years. Whenever, whenever they the Rays play, I mean, it's perfect. I mean, so that headline's already pre-written. But yes, Jake Mintz, of course, we are going to talk about Wander Franco. It is Wander Day. Today, June 22nd, he will be making his major league debut. We are going to open and talk a lot about that. We are obviously going to talk about the San Diego Padres because this is baseball barbecue. That's what we do. We're going to talk about Jacob DeGrom. We're going to talk about... Uh, Shohei Otani, who announced he's going to be doing the Home Run Derby. We're going to do a little bit of bias ball because the Orioles and Mariners have had a very interesting last uh, week or so. Uh, we're going to do the good, the bad, the ugly, of course. And we will bring back the Who's Getting Traded Power Rankings. Uh, is that it? I think I think we covered it all. We got, we got a packed show, as they say. And I look forward to going on this journey with you. But Jake, we must begin with Wander Franco because he is coming up. He'll be making his debut for the Tampa Bay Rays today. And uh, this is a day I think we all have wanted to see uh, even sooner. Although, again, he just turned 20 and he's only been in AAA for a little bit. But my God, as you will hear in this conversation, we are going to have shortly with ESPN's Kyler McDaniel talking about how good of, of a prospect he really is. This dude has never failed and there's no reason to think he's going to start failing now. Um, but we wanted to open this up a little bit more abstract as to what it means to have Wander now enter the Major League Baseball cinematic universe and how it compares to some of the other guys that we've been so spoiled to watch uh, over the last year. I believe we've been referring to these four. What, how have we been referring to these four, uh, Jake? I think we introduced this last week or the week before. <laughs> the four horsemen saving baseball from the apocalypse. <laughs> yes, yes. Of course, we are referring to Juan Soto, Vladimir Guerrero Jr., Fernando Tatis Jr., and Ronald Acuna Jr. Juan Soto. Is Juan, Juan Soto, Soto Jr.? <laughs> I think Juan Soto might actually also be a junior and just doesn't go by a junior. But either way, the point is, these guys are here to save baseball. They've been doing an amazing job. We've been so lucky that we have not really got to watch them struggle. They just come up and they're immediately awesome. And those people say, oh, Vlad, he was he was still good. <laughs> so, so, uh, but where does Wander fit into this? We now have a fifth entrant here. And he's a different style of player. Of course, he's a shortstop. He's the first switch hitter of the bunch. We kind of wanted to compare and contrast before we talk about Wander, really the baseball player. We think we've kind of lined it up. So how would you like to, to introduce hmm. this, this little breakdown? I mean, let's let's say what the other four are. We this is it is not this simple, but we're gonna do our best to boil it down because that's what we do. Tatis is sex. Yes. <laughs> Fact. He's just sexy. It's just all freaking sexy. Okay. Acuna is just he's cool. He's not quite sex. He's, I, what is the difference? I don't know. Acuna is cool. Soto is art. He is artisanal. He is a craftsman. 
and Vlad Jr. is pure, unadulterated power. If I had to boil those each of those gentlemen down into a word, that's what it would be. And so we were, we're just curious how Wander fits into that into that role. Now, maybe it is a bit presumptuous to say that Wander will immediately be, you know, the fifth player on the starting five. Um, right. He might need some time to elevate himself to that group. And if he doesn't get there immediately, that's okay. It took Vlad Jr. a little bit of time. But we're baseball prognosticators. So if Wander does eventually, you know, ascend into that tier, Jordan, where does he fit in from a character standpoint? In terms of like the one word description, that is, it is challenging because again, as you'll hear in this conversation with Kylie, like his strength is no weakness. There is nothing that this man cannot do. And he has done that for the entirety that he has been playing baseball in front of people. He has been the best player on the field. There is nothing he cannot do. And that is something you cannot say. Now, listen, you say, oh, well, Tatis. Well, what, what about Tatis, right? Tatis is, he's the supernova that like he can still go up there and strike out in epic fashion, right? Like he is still doing that. He is amazing. He can do it all. But as we've seen, the defense can be reckless and sloppy, right? Obviously, all the physical tools are there, right? With Soto, he's like, it's simple. He's just like a regular right fielder. That's fine. He's an amazing hitter, right? With Vlad, he's never going to be stealing any bases. Okay, that's fine, right? Acuna, Acuna is getting closer to the level of there's no flaws because now he stopped striking out. But he also- He stopped striking out as much. He yeah. also will, honestly, and again, we don't have to overreact this, but like he also just does some dumb shit on the field sometimes. <laughs> like that's, that's just about, and I'm not talking about celebrating. But I think, I disagree. I, he does, he's doing that less, like less again- so, Less so now, less so now. <laughs> you have to remember, this is all nitpicking, right? Oh, exactly. Because it's like these guys are all- two years old. Of like course, of I course. think Acuna, Acuna is the most well-rounded guy. I think of those four yep. um, and looking for flaws in his game. It's kind of difficult to, I would say Acuna's flaw is that he doesn't hit 300 or, or that what like, a flaw. he's like an okay center fielder and a good right fielder. Okay. There we go. We found a flaw. All right. But now we have a switch hitting shortstop. This is a new, this is a new ingredient. This is a new, a new flavor of the month. And it is really, it is really something to watch. And again, when you look at him physically, there's also something impressive in that he is not like, oh my God, in the way that Tatis is like this perfectly, you know, just amazingly shaped human being <laughs> who moves in ways that we've never seen before. Wander is not. He's he's very, he's very stout. He's very strong. He does have very short arms. He's built like a fullback. Yeah, it's it's very, but like that, but he's also very fast. So again, it's all these things at once. So I don't know. Do we have a word in mind? Do we have a word? It might start to crystallize in the coming months, right? But I don't know. I We can open this up. We can ask what people, I mean, I'm happy to throw this to our, our lovely audience and say, what the hell? What, what What is this guy? I mean, well-rounded is a boring one because it's also two words. But also flawless is almost too it's almost over, but maybe it's maybe it's right. Maybe it might be. I mean, we called someone sex, so I don't think <laughs> flawless is particular. I, I think it does the job. I think flawless is good. Yeah, because flawless, flawless does not necessarily indicate like supernova ness or like right. You know, the it's, high end elite. It just means he does not make mistakes. He does not have holes in his game. So I like flawless. I think flawless is a great descriptor, Jordan. Good for yeah. you. All right, but again, I, I would love to hear 
other one-word descriptors of what Wander is. And of course, as we now all get to watch him, and maybe some of you have been tuning in to Escojito games or to the Durham Bulls over the last month and and have watched a lot of Wander, you know, seen the Futures game. But but for for a lot of people, this will be, you're going to watch Wander and be like, oh, that's what this is. And so we want to kind of prepare you for that. And so uh, we're going to send it now to a conversation uh, we had with our good friend, Kyla McDaniel of ESPN, uh, to tell you just how good of a baseball player Wander Franco is. All right, we are now joined by ESPN's Kylie McDaniel. Kylie, welcome. I believe this is your baseball barbecue debut. It is a pleasure to have you here, sir. It's true. They they finally lifted the embargo, so I'm allowed on. <laughs> well, we, we weren't sure what it was going to take uh, to get our good friend Kylie here on the podcast, but he is here. He is here to talk about the number one prospect in baseball. He talks about prospects all the time, and this is the prospect to talk about. It is Wander time. Wander is here. Wander is amazing. And what we wanted to ask you, Kylie, is in all we we've been spoiled over the last you know half decade or so with all of these guys, the Vlads, the Tatises, the Acunas, the Sotos coming up, especially on the international market, coming up and just being immediately amazing. And we were been having a conversation about where does Wander fit into this? Is there any w- world where he's better than those guys? What does it look like? How does he compare as for when he signed? What are we really going to expect from Wander Franco in the big leagues immediately? Yeah, and that list continues. Rafael Devers, Glaber Torres, Eloy Jimenez, all these guys were at the top of their July 2 classes. And it, they're almost hitting like uh, more often than the guys at the top of the draft do. Because it's almost like if you're one of these, like, we use generational too much, but whatever term you want to use, like, oh, he's one of the top three hitters in this international class, it's almost guaranteed he's going to make the big leagues now, which seems wild for a 16-year-old. Uh, if you go back to like the most hype guys when they were 15, 16, Wander wasn't that. He was definitely on that top tier, but the guys that have the really, really loud tools like Eloy Jimenez's power or Jason Dominguez's power and speed, like he was still like a shorter guy that wasn't quite as explosive as he is right now. So he sort of progressed in that first year or two in pro ball, but he was always like, oh, this was clearly the best guy in this class way in advance. And I wrote something at uh, ESPN. I don't know if people have heard of it, um, but it was basically if you try to line up the sorts of things that like both anecdotally and empirically tend to have guys hit the ground running in the big leagues, the like most quickly, most effectively, it's guys that make a ton of contact and have a good approach and have basically not failed in the minors and ideally have a little bit of speed and defense as like a buffer in case they don't hit right away, which is basically just reading Wander Franco's scouting (laughs) report to you. So as much as people are saying like this guy's a can't miss or whatever, it's like by almost every measure, this guy has like the best chance of being good right away. What there are a lot of people in your world who are saying he is the greatest prospect they have ever seen. Right. And that does not necessarily mean the loudest tools or like the most impressive in person or whatever, but the best prospect they have ever seen. Number one, is that the case for you? Do you share that opinion? And if so, why? Yeah, I haven't said it in that way. I think the way we said it at ESPN at the beginning of the year was the best prospect since that Harper Trout class. Yeah. And I didn't see Trout. Whoa, 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 whoa. The Harper Trout, Matt Moore class. Please continue. Thank yes. You. <laughs> Sorry. A three-way tie. Still not decided. We'll see how that plays out. And it's also not to say like, oh, I think he'll be the best player of all time. But just like basically the day before he made his big league debut, who had the best chance to be like an all-timer. And I think for the reasons I just said, like the fact that it's shortstop, it's speed, it's contact, it's power. It's almost a peerless performance record. He's been hyped since he was, you know, going back to like 13, 14. Whereas like Trout, it was like, you know, wasn't even a high first round pick as an 18-year-old. And there's like reasons for that. But uh, I got pilloried a little bit when I said uh, Jason Dominguez was ahead of Mike Trout at the same stage because it was like, well, Dominguez isn't 18 yet and he's the best guy in his age class. And Trout was not the best 18 year old in his 
class. So if we're just doing it like at a point in time, the day they got called up, yeah, I think he may well be the best prospect uh, I've ever seen in my lifetime, maybe of all time. Uh, you know, depends on how exactly you want to do it. But yeah, I, I think he is that. And for all those reasons, and you could also argue that the style of prospect he is, is perfect for our times that he's in that sort of Jose Ramirez area that is often a little undervalued in general of making a ton of contact and not necessarily hitting balls, Joey Gallo style out of the stadium, but might actually be like the most effective, like hit the ground running power production as a rookie type player. Right. And I think Jose Ramirez is a great example because Jose Ramirez was like a fringe prospect who we were just like, oh yeah, he's like a nice player. And then apparently he, it was, I mean, again, his breakout is so ridiculous, but like if Wander Franco. He bat flipped against, he bat flipped against the twins, pissed off Kurt <laughs> Suzuki, and then was immediately an MVP candidate. Yes. And that's when his OPS was like 650, right? So, but, but honestly, right. If, if Wander Franco is Jose Ramirez, mission accomplished. I mean, Jose Ramirez is, you know, have been one of the five to seven best players in baseball for the last few years. I know we still, still probably don't think about him that way, but is that, what if, what if Jose Ramirez was a good defensive shortstop? Right. Yeah. And also this guy has like the twitch to do like some Acuna level things while also doing Jose Ramirez things. And there's not even that many guys in the big league. Like obviously Tatis is that kind of guy, but he's like a little bit bigger. And this is like the compact version, which baseball, like we're not doing like a football combine. If we're playing a baseball game, you ideally want shorter arms. It's easier to make contact if you're also strong enough to produce power while doing that. And he's one of those rare guys. Like it's like kind of hard to find a hole. Like we're kind of waiting for him to fail for the first time, which is like his only real weakness is he's never been like bad for two months before. And sometimes like guys that haven't failed until they reach the big leagues, they then fail in the big leagues and it's super embarrassing and they end up not developing well. Like that's the hole to pick in him is he hasn't failed yet. Well, I, I, wow. Same. The only, my, my biggest character flaws that I care too much. I care too much. I, I work. Hit, I probably I, volunteer too right. often if I had to be honest. Right. I, I hit, work too hard. I hit too much and my defense is too good and I strike out too little. That's my the, failure. I my teammates. I'm too talented. My failure is that I don't. <laughs> well, it's weird, Kylie. I'm, I'm looking at his baseball reference page. He did hit 192 in six games in the winter league. Uh, a couple of winters ago, which looks like he against like what an average age in that league of like 28 or something. <laughs> yes. Yes. That's actually exactly correct. He was nine years younger than the average player. So, um, so, you know, that's, that's, that's a fair, a fair point. So yeah, he really hasn't failed. Now we, we mentioned that it seems like his, his biggest strength right, is, is there's literally no weakness, right? If you had to pinpoint one skill of his, that is a 70 or an 80. What is it? What does that mean, Jordan? Explain explain yeah. what 70 or 80 means to sure, people who don't sure. necessarily Sure, So know. if we're going 20 to 80 scale, on uh, that's the scouting scale that is used. We know 50 is average. 80 is like, you're not you're not just throwing 80s around. That's not responsible. Um, but if you're 60 at everything, which I think you could say he is, that's also basically impossible to find. But if there is one skill that is at or near the top of the scale for Wander, what is it? Yeah, it's the most important one and the hardest one to scout, which is the hit tool. And we now have like enough, like if he was a 16 year old, you can't throw an 80 on his hit tool because like you've never seen him face pro pitching before. Maybe he has the worst plate discipline on earth and he has all the hitting skills of an 80, uh, but he can't actually perform. Uh, And that's his tool. And you you could argue, uh, I, I would probably say his other tools are between a 55 and 65, which if you made a list of all the guys that have five 60 tools as a position player, it's like almost only Hall of Famers and Bo Jackson. Like there may only be two or three guys in the big leagues right now. It's like Acuna and Tatis and that might be it. Like Otani, if you actually played him in the outfield regularly, might be another guy. 
but it's like that's pretty much it and he's like that with a top end like might hit 320 hall of fame level bat and play shortstop because you could be a 60 defender in right field which i'm guessing otani would be if he played there so yeah that just sort of further underlines it's like any measure you want to pick in terms of like pedigree longevity statistical performance scouting tools like mentality like yeah, it's, I, people listening to this that weren't familiar with him are like, we get it. He's perfect. Okay. <laughs> well, this is what's so interesting. Like Kylie and people who work in Kylie's field, a lot of what your job tends to be is to dampen expectations of prospects because every fan base thinks that their best player, every Rockies fan thinks that Zach Veen is going to be a first ballot Hall of Famer, right? And a lot of what you do is to be like, well, let's take a breath. And so I do think it is notable that Kylie and the Kylie McDaniels of the world are like, no, no, you can get excited about this one. <laughs> well, yeah, the other, the other part is like, you know, I was watching 2022 draft prospects today that are like 16 and 17 years old. And like, largely those guys aren't known outside of a small window in Twitter. So it's like, it's first my job to bring Zach Veen to the audience and be like, this guy's really good. If it totally works out, he could be Cody Bellinger. And the, that 5% chance he's Cody Bellinger is why you should know his name. That's really exciting. But there's a 95% chance he either is terrible or just okay. And, and I bring, you know, this player to the audience and then say, now he's not Cody Bellinger. I'm not going to guarantee that it's exciting because it's possible. So I like, I bring you to him and build him up. And then I like subtly bring him down a notch. And with wonder, it's like, I bring him to you and keep raising it. And then it just never goes down. And it's like, I mean, I guess he could go over his first 50 and it'll be like, all right, I whiffed on that one. Sorry guys. Like I could be proven wrong, but if he does what he's supposed to do, then it's like, all right, we'll just like continue raising it until eventually it's like, well, he's not going to go in on the first ballot guys. Like that's going to be too crazy. Yeah. I think, I think, uh, Kelnick got the over 39 top prospect quota out of the way. Yeah. So I, th- I don't, th- and I would also say Kelnick. Uh, a lot of people think he's not a center fielder and maybe even a fringe right mm-hmm. fielder. And there's a little bit of swing and miss. Like I wouldn't have guessed that that would have happened. But if you said, if he fails in the big leagues, what will it look like? It's like, Oh, like uh bad start snowballs right. and isn't playing center field. So they can't justify it. Like you could see it coming. I would say it was a 15% chance that it would go that bad. Sure. So it was like unlikely but possible. And I don't think it's possible. Wander could do that. The worst case scenario for Wander is like, you know, he puts a lot of balls in play, gets unlucky, hits 248 and is playing good defense at shortstop. Yeah, in which case, they'd probably still play. Like, he might be better right. than Willie Adamas if he does that. Right, right. Um, all right, uh, Kylie, you have, you have, uh, done, you have done your, your baseball barbecue debut justice. This has been well, you, wonderful. Jordan, he has fulfilled his obligations. He has fulfilled his obligation. This has been uh, wonderful, as I, I guess is probably the better way to put it. Oh, <laughs> I mean, uh, do you want me to take 30 seconds and tell the story of when I first saw him? I, I oh, do. Yeah. I do because again, when we talk about you were just saying, okay, you've seen some 22 draft guys. You used to work for the Braves, and I understand that uh, you accidentally saw Wander Franco. Um, yeah, it was an accident. Yes. So tell that story, and then we'll let you go because it is a great So story. the short version of it is uh, like once a year with the Braves, we would take all the domestic scouts and some guys from the office, bring them down, and let them sort of experience like a week in the life of the international group. Also, so like, hey, if we're going to take a guy in the draft that's 18 years old that gets, you know, $6 million, this is what the 16 year old version of that looks like, just for comparison purposes. So like the first day we're out there, we're going to a workout and we're going to see a bunch of like 17 and 18 year olds, a couple like low six figure guys to kind of fill out a roster in a signing class. And so we get in the car and drive through in the middle of nowhere, like way out on the island, like two hours in like a very bumpy van. We get out, we're all a little discombobulated. And the scouts that worked on there were a little annoyed that the, the uh, trainer didn't have his players ready. Like they were just starting to stretch and play catch as we rolled up and they were supposed to be ready to go, which is kind of common down there. Just some, some shenanigans from the trainer. 
And so the trainer walks up and goes, hey, guys, don't worry about it. Uh, and then he hands us a roster of the players. And it's like we were there to see 10, 15 guys. And there were like 50 kids on the field. And the roster has like 80 guys on it. And, we're like, and they're all late. And we're like, man, this is really annoying. And he's like, don't worry. I got a guy you got to see. And of course, all the international guys are rolling their eyes. Like, of course, you got a guy we need to see that we didn't ask to see. And all the domestic guys, including me, are like, cool. Who do you got? Like, we haven't been <laughs> annoyed by this before 100 million times like these guys have. And he's like. I got the best 14 year old you've ever seen. And all the international guys are like, I'm going to go to the bathroom. You guys have fun. And I'm sitting there with the domestic guys like, whoa, we don't really see great 14 year olds. Like, what do you, what do you even do with this? And so he brings out a player and he takes like ground balls at shortstop. And it's like, all right, this guy's like five, eight. Uh, like, okay. He looks pretty good at short. Like, all right. Like how old is he? Is it 14? Okay. Yeah. This looks pretty good. He's like, all right, he's gonna take a little bit of BP and then he'll go home. And so he grabs wood bat and starts hitting left-handed and the first three swings hits him out of the stadium by like 50 feet, like not even close. And we're like, Oh boy. And of course all the scouts are like, is this guy really 14? Like I've never seen like a 16 year old do this before. And then it looks like he's done. Like he seems to be like slowing down. And then he goes in the right-handers batter's box and hits like oh, everything out. And that's we're like, great. That's great because you so don't know, you don't know he's a switch hitter until he literally no walks idea. to the other batter's box. We didn't know what his name was. And so after he does this right-handed, he like, shakes the BP guy's hand and just walks off the field, gets in a car and leaves. And the trainer walks over and like, circle this guy's name on the roster, please. And he was like, taking his finger down. He was like, yeah, that one. And we're like, all right, that's 14. And I like wrote his name down in the book. And all the guys were like, so that's like the best guy in his class, right? I'm like, uh, the best guy I've ever seen. Like, I haven't seen that many, but I've never seen that before. <laughs> and then about a year later, he started showing up in like the big showcases and everybody had seen him. And they're all like, oh yeah, that guy's going for, you know, four or 5 million, like, you know, all that kind of thing. And then, uh, yeah, then I guess the rest of it went in, went in my book and uh, uh, and and the crazy thing is that wasn't even that long ago, right? Like he's about to debut today. Uh, just he just turned twenty in March, and here he is, and he's just gonna kill. As he said, he's just gonna maybe be Jose Ramirez immediately instead of taking a couple years to be Jose Ramirez. <laughs> and my one regret is I didn't take video of this because I have video from that workout, so I know what day it was. But I was just sort of like awestruck. Like the whole thing took ten minutes. No, see, you say the way better that there's no video because then, <laughs> like, this is you have this story. This is way better that you can. Describe. You could be making it all up, and I'm like, "Yep, chip for sure, hundred percent." No, I, I believe. And I will say, shameless uh, plug for the book on this topic is I interviewed the scouting directors for both the Yankees and the Rays, and they both talked about like their evaluations of him, and then deciding like, do we want to spend our whole pool on him? Is he the best guy in five years? Is he just the best guy this year? Which I think is like an interesting behind the scenes of like it wasn't obvious that he was going to be this good at that time. And I posted some video on Twitter that I took of right before he signed. And it was like, he didn't even look then what he looked like a year later. Right. Like he is like notably improved at every step along the way. Yeah. Uh, well, you can read that in more wonderful scouting stories in Future Value, a book you co-authored with Eric Longenhagen. Kylie, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, enjoy whatever baseball you have in front of you. And uh, we will enjoy watching Wanda Franco. Thank you, sir. I assume you'll have me on next week to talk about the draft combine. Oh, yeah. that's We'll have, that's you, on, <laughs> we'll have you on in uh, next week to talk about Zach Veen's MLB debut. All right, Jordan, enough hitting talk, enough position player talk. Let's talk pitching, okay? Let's get into, let's get into the pitching world. Uh, yesterday, uh, on Monday, two of the best pitchers in the world, respective to their um, competition, uh, pitched and showed out and were absolutely dominant. Uh, I, they both have uh, J and K in their name. I'm talking, of course, about Jack DeGrom and Jake Leiter. 
of Vanderbilt University and New York Mets College, respectively. That's what NYC stands for, right, Bobby? Um, these are they are absolutely incredible. These two gentlemen. Do you want to start with the older one or Jack Leiter? Uh, let's talk about Jack Leiter quickly, just because um, he struck out fifteen in the College World Series, and he has and lost. Loser, loser, because, because NC State just pulled some kind of magic out of their ass. But he didn't show me enough grit. He didn't, he didn't get the win, Jake. He didn't show the grit. That's true. I was going to say, loser. I was literally going to say th- this Jack Leiter start la- from yesterday. Complete game, fifteen Ks, one earned run on a homer is the best argument I've ever seen for pitcher wins being stupid. <laughs> he lost. He's a loser. He gave up that homer, and then he didn't get any hits for Vanderbilt. What the hell, Jack Leiter? That's on. That's your fault. You lost the game. Um, very silly. But the point is, is that he showed out on the biggest stage. This isn't not that he needed to necessarily prove himself anymore, but doing it in a time where this is the first time the College World Series has ever taken place uh, before the draft is just maybe a reminder that like this dude is unfreaking believable. And if he does in fact fall to the Red Sox at four, which is very possible as we sit here today, uh, holy shit. Um, what do you think, Jake Mintz? Do you I think have he- never yeah. I have never seen Marcelo Meyer yep. or Jordan Lawler play. Right. Or Brady so, House. Yep. Or Brady House or all these other high school guys. Yep. I would take Jack Leiter number one. Because yep. having this success on this type of stage is does not grow on trees. You got to be built a different kind of way to go out and do this 15 Ks. It's not as if he's going to falter mentally when he gets to the big leagues. He's literally grew up around the game. His dad is Lighter. He's athletic as hell. The stuff is incredible. He's only going to get better. Maybe Marcelo Meyer is Mike Trout playing shortstop. I don't know. But I was just incredibly impressed with Lighter. Bobby, what you got on, on, uh, on Jack before we go to Jake? I had a quick question about um, sticky stuff enforcement at the college level because Jack Leiter's fastball has about as much rise as any pitch, <laughs> rise, quote unquote, rise, as any pitch I've ever seen. So I'm just curious. So my understanding, yeah, go ahead, Jake. You go I was first. just going to say, I can't, Jake can speak to your actual question. My understanding about Jack Leiter's fastball is that he basically has a very unusually low release point in a way right. that is like just naturally, it's just like his arm slot and his delivery that allows for both the actual real carry that he is getting on the ball, plus the spin, plus what it looks like, because it is it is so unique. And part of it is that he's not that tall. And so when he just drives the ball, it truly looks like it is going up. It is it is a one of the most unique fastballs I've ever seen, for sure. He gets so low, like he's both very low at release point, And it, you're right, so like just the, the angle is up. It's just it's squats. Just squats. Look, let me let me say this. I played college baseball for four years. I've been around college baseball a lot. You played college I, baseball? I I was I was bad for three years, good for one. There was I have heard of one player that I that has been around like my world of college baseball that used any type of of stuff. One. I've heard I've heard it once. At the D1 level, I'm sure it's probably more prevalent because these guys are a lot better. And there have been rumors about guys at the D1 level using it, I'm sure. But like we, you can't. That's also, not part of the equation. I could equation be making here. this up, no. but as we know, the, we know the baseball is different, and I'm pretty sure the seams yeah. are also just higher on the college ball in general. 
It's probably so you easier can actually, to throw. You can actually hold yeah, what it. What a concept. Then? What a concept. Wow. Perhaps it's you just fix the baseball because it's a baseball. No, you can no, it. no. Bad discourse. Okay. Bad. Not well, today. Not maybe today. today. Let's talk about Jacob deGrom, uh, who yesterday became the first pitcher ever to get checked for sticky stuff. We're not going to talk about sticky stuff this week because we don't care. The point is, he's doing shit that we have never seen before. His ERA plus is over 700. We, As I think you said last week, we are now at a point where we cannot fathom Jacob. We cannot fathom a pitcher ever being better than this. Was Pedro Martinez in 2000 better? Maybe. I can't. I go. I don't know how that's possible. I don't know how it's possible that anyone could be better than what Jacob Degrom is doing right now. And uh, and we are all we are all witnesses. We are all very fortunate to watch it. And I cannot wait to see. All right, let's 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 put it on the on the on the board now. What does Jacob Degrom's ERA finish at? Assuming he doesn't get hurt. Assuming he throws at least 130, 140, 100, we'll say 140 innings even. Final season ERA, Bobby Wagner. It is currently at 0.5, I believe. You want me to pick what he finishes at? Yes. Hmm. I think it will go over one. Think so. Wow. But not over 110. 107. Right, so, of course, we are all walking to see if he can keep it under the famous uh, Bob Gibson 112. I think it will go over 112. Now, he was at 1.7. <laughs> Back in 2018. So I think it'll be one, four, three will be Jacob Grom's ERA at the end of the season. Jake Mintz, what is it? 0. 0.99. 0. 0.99. 0. 0.99. 0.99. Amazing. Obviously, we're not calculating how many earned runs that would actually require in innings, but all right. So we're, we're on the board here. I'm saying one, four, three. Wow. I am the biggest hater of the bunch. One, four, three. Uh, Bobby is saying. Do you even think he's good? Like, what, one, what, what's going on there? Oh, eight, you said. 107, 107.99. Uh, do we listen? Wait, I, I want to make a point about yesterday. Yes. Now we know for a fact he's doing a clean. <laughs> like, I know that that's stupid, and we pretty much knew that beforehand. Yeah. But like, there was the moment when they checked his glove, right? There was like 0.0005% of Bobby's and every Mets fan's <laughs> heart that was like in their chest, just a little bit, just a little bit, just a little bit. <sighs> And now we know but they didn't show it on the broadcast because it happened between innings. So I we know. already knew when he had come back. Decomo would have been blowing our spot up if he had video been. online. But th- there was something about it that was like, okay, now we're totally now we're in. If I had absolutely no before. fear. I had absolutely no fear. That tells me something about your guilty conscience, Jake. Uh, Never use no. sticky stuff. I'm obsessed with the fact that he was willing to take his belt off on the field for the umpire. <laughs> <laughs> he was just like, you want me to take it off? I wish he literally dropped his pants dude like i wish he just like the belt came off and he just let his pants fall and was like all right here here's my belt guys like, it doesn't so so he's like line, so i his... am just an alien like it's not it's no cheating he's like i literally am an alien his stat line this year looks like one of the old-timey baseball stat lines before like when when you could catch a ball on a bounce it just dude, looks, it looks fake Sorry to keep going back to college baseball. It looks like a D3 pitcher pitching in a shit conference. That is what we're looking at. 72 innings, four earned runs, 170 strikes. Like, that is what we are talking about, okay? Is Jacob DeGrom better than Webster's Matt Mulhern, Jordan? That's the true brother. All right. Last last Uh, DeGrom thing. My favorite thing about this is that he has two losses. Incredible. Incredible (laughs) that he has allowed four earned runs and has two losses. Go Mets. They're not letting him swing anymore, by the way. He he good, had a very good. weak swing because that they think that that was what kind of bothered his shoulder in his last start mm, that made him come out for three innings. Body. So he had kind of like a half swing on a pop-up into left field. But before that swing, 
he tried to bunt for a hit because he's a freaking athlete. Are you telling me he's not, away? You're telling me he's not going to be in the derby? All right, Jordan. Let's move on and talk about our dads. It was Father's Day on Sunday, but in reality, it was Father's Day all weekend, and it's still Father's Day because the San Diego Padres are kicking San Diego Petco Park at full capacity for the first time all season. And we had a special uh, correspondent in attendance. Baseball Barbecue's very own Bobby Wagner was back, there baby. in. Oh, thanks for coming back, Bobby. Was there in San Diego to take in the action. You were at the games on Friday and Saturday. Is that correct? Yes. You were not at the Thursday night banger, which was the best of the bunch. Padres up the no. whole game. Went up. I went down four to two in the top of the ninth and then scored four in the bottom of the ninth to walk it off. Don Orsillo had himself a weekend on the call. Just incredible stuff from him. Bobby, what was the atmosphere like uh, at the dog park, which is what I'm now calling Petco Park? Rowdy, like a college party. Uh, You know, Petco Park has like the the, uh, like grass patch field in center field where you can kind of sit out there on the lawn and observe the game from there. That looked like freaky Coachella out there. It was like a concert uh, before the game even started. Obviously, full capacity felt a little weird at first. Like you kind of have to just kind of let your guard down, you know, assimilate yourself back into the world a bit. Have a beer. Yeah, have a beer or a few. um, If you're off the clock, just enjoying a baseball game. Uh, It was amazing. That atmosphere was absolutely amazing. It's everything that's been said about Petco and about the Padres fan base, that this team has now treated the fan base with the respect that it deserves. And the fan base has, has, mutually received that and shown respect back for the team because this team is obviously electric we've been talking about it for a year and a half we were just kind of waiting for the opportunity for it to feel that way because it was weird that this team was so fun with no fans in the stands last year it was literally just the team just the players and they were still popping off the screen and now you know we've joked all the time about how this fan this team has been literally bad for our entire lives and they're back they're there's something beautiful about it to get wholesome here. It's the whole point of sports in a lot of ways. I kind of, I wrote about this at Fox Sports the other day. Like, that's it. Like, you emotionally invest yourself in a team. City does that. Emotionally invest themselves because there will eventually one day be emotional payoff. And the Padres fans have waited longer than anyone but Jordan and, and his friends for, like, to be good, to be fun, to be relevant. And now they are. And they could not be, it could not be better. Like you could not have written this better. Because, but it's also another level because they ha- they they weren't that bad, you know, a decade ago. You know, they had some good Adrian Gonzalez teams, but it wasn't that fun. It's to have this team, right? It's not just a bad team that becomes good. You know, we've seen that in other markets and it's always rewarding and it's always cool. But it's to have the team, to have the team in the league right now that everyone is paying attention to. Um, and, you know, the White Sox are experiencing this, too, to some degree, um, which is cool. But it's it's so true for them to be so irrelevant and now to be the most relevant is still staggering all the time. And and as far as the actual on-field, you know, performance goes, you know, they had that really hot stretch. I think that, you know, that 10-game winning streak, I think we, we talked about it. And then they went a little cold for a bit. You know, they got swept by the Cubs uh, and then they they lost the series again against the Cubs uh, at home. And then they, you know, they lost a few against the Mets. They lost, they got swept in Colorado. And then since that sweep in Colorado, they've now won five in a row. And now it's, and now they just beat the Dodgers 
last night and they're 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 back at it. Like this team is is very hot and cold in a weird ways and I'm not really sure. Like they have so much talent that it's kind of weird when they when they aren't winning the majority of their games, but they are it, it is really really something special and I hope I can can watch a little bit more of the Padres Dodgers this week. So I saw I saw about I saw about 10 Jesse Winker jerseys in the stands. Obviously the Padres were playing the Reds. Big Jesse Winker Dude, year, it is guys. A big Jesse Winker year. Don't 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 be joking about that. All right. <laughs> Side note: I know we're here to talk about it, the pa- it, the Padres, and Petco Park is a phenomenal park. If you're within yes. the area, you should go if you if you have the means and have the opportunity to go. But quick side note on the Reds: weird team. They just have two guys hitting over 350 who are amazing at the outfield corners. Then the rest of the team is just like, eh, yeah, not Dude, good. Joey Votto makes Joey Votto's fun. Castillo have Joey Votto got ran in the first inning. I I wasn't even at my seat yet. I was watching from the concourse level behind home yeah, plate. Castillo and Suarez have just been horrific. Um, and they're like still sort of hanging around because those two guys are amazing. Uh, all right, Jake Mintz, let's move on to our next topic. Staying in the NL West, the Arizona Diamondbacks, Jordan, won a goddamn baseball game. They were sitting, they were on an L-17 uh, heading into uh, Monday night, they had already been on a separate L15 previously in the season. They are the worst team in baseball. But last night, they picked up that ever-elusive W in the win column. I went back. I woke up this morning. Believe it or not, I did not stay up for that game. I woke up this morning, and I watched the highlight package of it just because I wanted to see how the players would react. And it was great. It was awesome. Steven Vogt in the handshake line, smile on his face, bigger than winning the World Series. It was it was the stuff of dreams, Jordan. They've lost, um, you know, before that, I think it was like 32 of, or what is it, 35 of 40, something insane. By the way, yes, they, they did win last night. They have still not won a road game since, do you know the date off the top of your head? April 28th. April 25th. April 25th. They have not won a road game in nearly... Two months, they have already set that record, I believe, for most consecutive road losses. And uh, bad news, this is a good, good transition off of what we just talked about. They're heading to Petco Park this weekend. So they're going to have to take down the mighty Padres if they're going to break that streak. Then they go to St. Louis. Uh, and then if they, then they go to the Dodgers after that in a few weeks. So this, this road losing streak is definitely not over. We already talked about how terrible the D-backs are last week. It is it is bleak. This is it's extra sad. I know they got the win last night. That's why it felt so good. It's extra sad when it's like this was not the plan. Not that they were necessarily expecting to be contenders, but they were expecting to be in the middle of the pack and then to have things go this poorly, this aggressively and dramatically is really 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 tough to watch. Just to really put things into perspective here. They're nine and a half back of the Rockies. All right, I'm going to say that again. They're not, it's June 22nd. They're nine and a half back of the team that coming into the season, we all thought was easily a bottom three worst team and was like aggressively in one of the worst situations you could possibly imagine. This D-backs team, which we thought would be merely fine this year, is nine and a half back of the Rockies in June. Holy shit. Okay. All that said, we said last week, I I said, you said you think they'd pick fourth. I said they're definitely in the top three. And I'm feeling great about that. Because I don't see, because they're going to start trading guys, and we're going to get to that in a little sec. We talk about the trading power rankings, but we just had to acknowledge because my God, D backs, it is bleak. Ha- so there was a yeah. moment, uh, yeah, it goes I say happy for at D backs. They were very happy last night when they won, as they should be. Uh, I went last night and was like, hmm, 
what's the worst team in modern history? Oh, it's 2003 Tigers. They won 43 games. The Diamondbacks are currently at 21 wins. Uh, the, the Tigers, I believe, had 12 more losses at 21 wins than the Diamondbacks currently do. So, like, if the Diamondbacks pull off another L12, uh, then they'll be <laughs> even with the 2003 Tigers. Yeah. And I really want to hammer that home. It is so hard to be that bad, as bad as that Tigers team was. Like, you need to be abysmal. I think it is one of the more unbreakable records uh, in sports, uh, especially, I think, with the new CBA. Hopefully, there's more competitive balance stuff and, like, teams are incentivized to not be total dog shit. Like, I think it's a sneaky, unbreakable record. The 2003 Tigers. 43 wins. I think that that, that Tigers team, like, started the season 1-22 and, and 22 or yeah. something. Well, so their like, pace, they did win more. The Tigers did win more at the end. Right now, the D-backs are on pace for 46 wins. Okay? So, you know, it's, 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 not, it's not going great. They, they, you know, they're going to have to pick it up a little bit, and I think that they will. But... Uh, that road losing streak could very well continue into into the not so not so near future, which is really something to watch. So we'll keep we'll obviously keep uh, monitoring that uh, next week if they're on an L twenty seven on the road or whatever. We will certainly talk about amazing. It. All right, Jake. Uh, I think we should take a quick break here, and then we'll be back. Let's do it with our who's getting traded power. Okay. Yep. We're back. Hello. We're back. Hey, We're back. Podcast. Back. Podcast. It's here. Baseball barbecue. Jake Jordan. We're back. And it's time for the second half of the show or the second third of the show. Or it's like the all-star game. The break is, is the break is like the all-star game. It's the midsummer <laughs> classic of the podcast. Definitely not the middle. Uh, we are now going to bring back a segment we introduced a few weeks ago. The Who's getting traded power rankings. You can call it a fave five as we used to. These are our, our top five most likely to get traded players. Jake, start us off at number five. Jordan Schusterman at number five. It's the eternal going to get traded. Richard Rodriguez, not the football coach. It's going to happen. Has to happen. Has to happen. We're keeping him at five. We're not moving him up because he hasn't been as good as he was last time we talked. But he's, but still, he's been solid. still on the Pirates. He's still on the Pirates. Most importantly, he is still a reliever. He is still adding saves in his in the save. He's still adding to the saves total. Saves plus bad team equals you will be traded. Rich Rodriguez still at number five. Rich he's number four. Rod. This, Rich Rod, he'll be gone for sure. Number four, this is a new entry. This is a bit of a hot take from Jake Mintz here, Woo! so I'm going to put this on him. And 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 my brother listening to this is going to be pissed that you're even saying this. But you are saying that Mr. Kyle Schwarber is in your Who's Getting Traded Power Rankings. Explain. Okay. There are three qualities or traits, characteristics, forces at play when someone gets traded at the deadline. Okay? They have to be good at baseball. Yeah, duh. Number two, the and actively good. They need to be hot. They need to be hot, actively good. Okay. Number two, it usually helps if you're on a one-year deal or your contract is up at the end of the year, right? If you're a young player on a long deal, you're not going to get traded because what if you're good next year and your team's good? And that's the third thing is your team has to be bad. Okay. Last but, place. Last, last place. place plus one-year deal plus you're good right now is always a recipe for maybe you're getting traded. That's Kyle Schwarber. Kyle Schwarber has been like the best hitter in baseball over the last week. He's on a home run tear. The Nationals have 
are, you know, they have won eight of their last 10. They're clawing their way back into the race in the NL East. I'm not saying that they're out of it. I'm saying that they might be out of it in a couple weeks. A bad Nationals team has no use for Kyle Schwarber in the second half of the season. That's all I'm saying. David Schusterman, don't get mad. I'd like them to trade him before he hits five <laughs> home runs in a single series against the Mets again, please. That's my that's my only request. All right, Bobby, we'll, we'll forward that to Mike Rizzo just for you. Okay, okay, thank you. I know uh, you guys have moved, a good relationship. We move to number three. Jake Mintz, the Orioles, obviously, the last few years are always at the center of the trade deadline talks. Don't do it. Please and it, we do not it. think that it is going to make sense. We don't think that they're going to trade Trey Mancini this year. That would be especially ruthless and heartless and probably not even smart. We also don't think that, well, we had talked about trading Matt Harvey. He's been so terrible that that seems unlikely at this point. But they do have someone that you think is now into the top five. Freddie Galvis has been playing very well, and he is a great candidate because there's no emotional attachment to the Orioles fan base in the same way. You think Freddie Galvis could get moved? I was too hard on Freddie Galvis to start the year. I made jokes. Uh, I said, Mom, can we have Jose Iglesias? We have Jose Iglesias at home. And then you have Freddie Galvis. It's not the same. But Freddie Galvis has been really good. Like, he's been a very good shortstop. I'm not sure how many contending teams uh, could use a shortstop right now. I feel like the Reds could always use a shortstop. He was literally in Cincinnati last year. So I'm not sure why he's not on the Reds right now. But the Orioles dealt Iglesias last year uh, after the season. They could, and they probably would have traded him at the deadline if he had been healthy. And Galvis has been healthy and good and is on a one-year deal and could totally get dealt. Jordan? Totally with you. And number uh, two right, on number, our list. Again, we had him last week. If you're a pirate. Last, yeah. You're a pirate. Yeah. And you're still, I believe, leading the league in hits. Uh, I just do not understand <laughs> how he's still on this team, why he's still on this team. I'm sure Adam Frazier is also like, what am I still doing here? Like, mm. I could be helping a good team, right? Right now. Right? Right now. Can I do right that? Now. So he's an obvious number two. But at number one. Rumors. On the list. Is a rumor. Now, you might say, hey, Jake and Jordan. This rumor came from a not-so-real source, one Mr. Bob Nightingale. But I would say to you that that yes. rumor came from one Bob... I would say to you, that's a fair point, dear listener. But then I would say to you, ah, but did you see who Bob Nightingale was connecting Eduardo Escobar to? Oh, the Chicago White Sox, who are owned by the person who tells Bob Nightingale everything. Yes, in fact, the White Sox, having lost Nick Madrigal for the season reportedly been in talks to acquire Mr. Eduardo Escobar from the Arizona Diamondbacks, who, as we just said, have lost a billion games in a row, or at least on the road, they're really terrible. And obviously are going to try some, try to trade some of these players. And Eduardo Escobar is a perfect veteran, good middle infielder. And is maybe, maybe he is what is preventing Adam Frazier being traded because they're just going back and forth between like, okay, who do we rather have? Yeah. Who do we rather have? But so we're putting him ahead of Adam Frazier, even though it's Bob Nightingale and maybe we shouldn't believe it. Escobar season has returned. It has returned. And uh, and he will probably, I think, I honestly do believe, <laughs> this is the thing, don't believe Bob on anything unless it has to do with very specific White Sox matters that are coming directly from Jerry Reinsdorf. He was all, Wait, was all that, over La Russa. Was that already all five? That was already all five yeah, guys? five guys. Where's, that, where's Aaron Judge <laughs> on the list? Oh, good take, good take, good take. That did float across the old TL recently, and I was like, hmm, you're fucking crazy. He's at 1B? 
Is that one B? <laughs> uh, all right. Uh, tis the season of trade rumors. It's coming. It's coming as soon as the All-Star game's over. That's all we're going to be talking about. All right, Jake Mintz, time for the good, the bad, the ugly. Very excited about this one this week, mostly for my ugly. But let's begin with the good. And go, of course, if you're, if you're just listening for the first time, welcome. Good, the bad, the ugly. Something good that happened last week in baseball. Something bad that happened last week. Something ugly. Something just so random, so ridiculously strange. And that is Dan Ugla, and we celebrate him every week with the ugly. But let's begin with the good. Jake, would you like to go first? Yeah. Let's talk about the Olympics, Jordan. There is one spot left for the 2020 slash 2021. Should they really be happening? Tokyo Olympics in uh, in the baseball tournament. Five of the teams have qualified already. They are Japan, the host, Israel, Korea, Mexico, and the United States of America. Those teams are in. There is one spot remaining, the sixth and final spot. And this week, starting today, there is a three-team tournament to decide who that final spot will be, involving the Dominican Republic, Venezuela, and the Netherlands. The reason that it's only four teams is because Australia pulled out, I believe, due to COVID concerns. Jordan, those are awesome stakes, okay? For every player on these rosters, going to the Olympics is probably not just a career highlight, but a like a life highlight. Opening ceremonies, going to Japan for to get pit, like, Going to play baseball in Japan at the Olympics is just, like, imagine that. Imagine that. And so these games, if you want high-stakes baseball in the middle of the season, this is that. Okay? This is it, man. This is it. It's, uh, yeah, and the, the, the qualifiers we had a few weeks ago were were very fun. Um, and I know that the U.S. team in particular is a, is a pretty random group, but the Dominican team is really, really something It's a else. bunch of Winnebro players. And Julio Rodriguez, top Mariners prospect. So wait, is Julio playing in the games this week On the roster, yep. Holy shit. So that means he went back to Everett and is now returning to Florida. These games are in Mexico. Games are in Mexico. Going to Mexico. Wow, Julio is ridiculous. But that is amazing. It is, yeah, it is literally Julio Rodriguez plus like Rodimus Liz and Juan Francisco. I think they're in Mexico because... I, the majority of the players playing in this tournament play in the Mexican league. And so it's easy for them to get ah, there. Ah, interesting. So it's a much more convenient. Well, there you go. Uh, that is a very good, very good baseball. We obviously encourage you all to watch that. My good this week is Carlos Correa. Jake Mintz, Carlos Correa is now in the top five uh, of F4 in Major League Baseball. And Carlos Correa, since he went 0 for 5 on, uh, what day was this? 0 for 5 on May 23rd against the Rangers. Since then, He's hitting 361, 505, 735. <laughs> this is the Carlos Correa that we saw in 17 when he was maybe probably definitely cheating. And I'm not saying he's cheating now. Like he was always been an amazing baseball player. And now as we think about, we've always talked about the free agent shortstop. Okay, Seager, he's been hurt. He didn't really do anything. Lindor has obviously already signed. Story's been hurt. Baez has been as volatile as ever. Carlos Correa might come out of the season just like, it, by the way, also going to be very much, I think, an MVP discussion by the end of the season, especially if the Astros win the division, which I believe they will. Like, he is doing everything he needs to do to get just mega ridiculously paid. The dude's still 26. He's outstanding. He's playing the best defense of his career. He is amazing, and I just wanted to shout him out, even though he's on the Astros and nobody likes the Astros. So there you go. There's my good, Carlos I think you're allowed to like Carlos Correa and still not like the Astros. I think that's permitted. Yeah, I am. I I, I do it every day. Um, Okay, (laughs) let's go to our bad. I will do bad just because it is... 
It is a hit. I think we both have bad uh, hitters this week. And this is one you actually flagged to me, and I just was just looking at it uh, this morning and was just like, damn, shit's just really not going well. And that's Alec Bohm. And I got to say, I'm pretty shocked at how poorly the season has gone for him. And I was like, oh, maybe he's getting really unlucky. His Babbitt's like totally fine. He's just striking out a little bit more. He's never walking. And he's still hitting the ball hard, so it's like it's not really that bad. And the defense obviously isn't great at third. Just not going well for Alec Bohm. And that is a, an ingredient of the Philly season that I kind of just took for granted because he was so good last year. And he's just been terrible. He's been, by WRC+, Plus, the fourth worst hitter in baseball. And I've been kind of stunned by that. Um, I was I was sold last year. I was like, all right, here's a good major league hitter. He's not that exciting, but he's going to be good. And he's been really, really, really good. Alec Bohm, so. for me, is the Wilson Bedemit. Um, award for hitting 500 when I'm watching him play and 0. <laughs> 0.5 when I'm not. Like, yeah. whenever I watch the Phillies, Alec Bohm is just crushing it. Like, he must know that I'm watching because I think he's awesome. Like, every time he's he's at the plate on MLB TV, he's getting a hit. And then I turn it off. Yeah. And Wilson Bennett was apparently he goes back to hitting 230. He does know that you're watching. He definitely knows. <laughs> you never know. Who, you never know who's watching, Bobby. Okay, my He's bad. Calling his shot. This one's for Jake. Jordan, this has been. This guy has been <laughs> your bad. good. He has been your bad, and he is my bad again. Byron Buxton. God damn it, dude! Hurt again. Wait, does he hurt again? Oh, came Jesus back. Christ. I think last week, right? Oh, I missed this. I know he I know he was killing it in AAA. I know he got activated. Did he already get hurt again? Yeah. Fractured his left oh. hand on a hit by pitch. What? Oh, well, that's just that just sucks because that's not even like frail Byron Buxton, you know, falling over and then, you know, cracking a rip. Like that's just shitty luck on top of already all the shitty luck that he's had. God it damn sucks. it. I didn't even see it that. It sucks so bad, Ugh. dude. Great quote from Ugh. Rocco Baldelli, the manager. We cannot talk about fairness. It's not fair. This isn't fair. That's how I feel about the whole thing. I'll be thinking about him often in the near future. This is going to be very tough. Third game since being activated on the off the IL with a hip strain, hit in the hand against the Reds. <sighs> and who hit him? I'm that I'm rooting against that pitcher for the rest of the season. Uh, who hit him? It was Tyler Molly. <sighs> Tyler, I'll never forgive you. All right, let's move to the ugly. Jake, I want to hear your ugly first. Because mine is somewhat okay. of a surprise because it's something that happened to me that I didn't tell you about. So you go first. Something happened to you? No, it's good. It's, it's, it was just a life experience. Are you that, okay? No, all good. No, I'm great. So I just want you okay. to go first if that's okay. That's fine. Uh, Jordan Schusterman, there are two different ways to hit and two different ways to throw in this world. Are you aware of this? You can yeah, throw I, righty I mean, or lefty. Or you oh, can okay. hit righty yeah. or lefty. Or I guess you can hit both. It is very rare to ever see, shockingly rare, to ever see a major leaguer who throws lefty and hits, and hits righty. righty. Yeah, shockingly this is, rare. This is known as a backwards gentleman, a backwards guy. A backwards Evan guy. White. Evan, Evan White, White is one. Is, is uh, near the top of the list. But there's, um, I'm trying to think of who the other, I know Ryan Ludwig was, uh, was one okay. with the Cardinals. Um, again, before Evan White, I was, this was not something I was clued into. And then Ricky Henderson. Ricky Henderson. Ricky Henderson is the greatest of all time, both yes. at stealing so then, bases and at throwing lefty and, and hitting righty. Um, but the important thing to know is that there is a gentleman by the name of Chaz McCormick on the Houston yes, Astros. Chaz McCormick Chaz is a McCormick, guy. Chaz McCormick has played 45 games already this year. 
uh, and that's it. He is a backwards guy. He has eight home runs on the year. Okay, ready? Which puts him fourth amongst active players in home runs for backwards guys. He is already fourth <laughs> amongst active players. Eight home runs for back backwards guys. Can you Ooh. name? Can you name the three players above Chaz McCormick active? Evan White. Evan White has 10 home runs and twice the plate appearances, um, okay. more than twice than Chaz McCormick. There are two more guys ahead of them. All right. Wow. Active. Oh, my God. I wanted to say there's another, like, weird outfielder. And obviously, they're outfielders. A former first baseman. A former Mariner is at number one. A former Mariner is at number one. 22 career mm -hmm. home runs. He's been in the league since 2016. He's currently on a team. He's currently on the Mariners. No, he's currently on oh. a team. He Mariners. Okay, Mariners. super weird guess. Yeah. Mike Freeman? No. The answer is no, oh no, Guillermo Heredia. Guillermo, Guillermo Heredia is yes, the yes, active yes, leader yes. in home runs for backwards guys. And who are the other guys? You will never. So one is Heredia. Three is White. Yep. Four is McCormick. Yep. You will never guess number two. Yep. Madison Bumgarner is it's at number two. Fuck, I knew it. 19 yes, career yes, home yes, runs, yes. which is crazy high. 19 home runs for Madison Bumgarner. For a while, he was the active leader. I was tipped off to this fun fact by a friend of mine uh, who I was hanging out with over the weekend. And oh. I love this. I think this is great. So Chaz McCormick is at four career home, or sorry, eight career home runs. He needs 14 more to catch Heredia to be the active leader in home runs amongst backwards guys. Um, the all-time list, the all-time list, he sits uh, hilariously at 30th ever already after 45 so, games. So this is good because I will now be thinking about McCormick versus White in this race will be very fun to watch. You know, yes. in division, both about the same age, both should be in the big leagues playing like McCormick's clearly been good enough to, you know, be a part of the Astros. Yeah. Um, love it. Love it. So great, great. Ugla. Oh man. Just, just quickly. The all time record. Most home runs for backwards guy is Ricky. Yep. 297. Any other notable names? Ryan Ludwig is at two. I, I just said, I said Ryan yeah. Ludwig. Okay. Cody yeah. Ross at three. Ooh, that's a good one. Yep. 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 Uh, Jason Lane, former <laughs> Astro is at eight. Sure, sure, uh, sure. And then Heredia is at, uh, 16, Joey Rickard. Amazing. Joey Rickard Guillermo is at 18. Heredia is at 16 on the all-time home run list. The all-time home run list. And then, Wait. sorry, one more, one more, one more. Yeah, go ahead, Bobby. It kind of rocked my world that Mad Bum has 19 career home runs. That's I a know, shit it's... ton of home runs. <laughs> if you would have gave me an over-under for like six, I would have yeah, maybe I still guessed, went under. I would have guessed 12. He so had five in they, one year. There are currently 17 players, pitchers included, in the majors right now. 17. That's it. That's all it is. I'm just going to quickly read their names so they can be on everyone's radar, okay? Guillermo Heredia. This is by most home runs. Guillermo Heredia, Madison Bumgarner, Evan White, Chaz McCormick, Ryan McBroom, Ryan Lemaire, Stephen Matz. Legend. Mike Miner, Gilberto Celestino, who is just Ooh, called he's up. Just got called up. He's going to play replace Buxton. Buxton. Yep. Hyunjin Ryu. Ooh, Ty, he's a righty. Ty Bloch. John, Naga John Nagowski. John Nagowski. Caleb Smith. 
Ryan Weathers, Alex Wood, Matt Strom, Caleb Ferguson on the Dodgers. Okay, so that means there are literally one, two, three, four, five, six position players. That's it. Six position players in the whole league. I know I went very long on this. Jordan, what is your ugly? No, A plus, A plus. All right, mine is quick. I'm just going to tell you uh, what happened to me last Thursday. I was in the great city of of Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. I was out to dinner. I won't say exactly where I was, but I was out to dinner in the, in, in the in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. And I was walking to dinner with my lovely girlfriend, and then and I saw I saw a guy, and I was like, hmm, that guy looks familiar, and I didn't think twice about it. Then we went to dinner, and we sat down, and then we were sitting outside, beautiful night, enjoying our meal, and then we saw another guy, and I was like, hmm, that guy looks familiar too. And that guy turned around to big bush. Oh, it's Colin Moran. There's Colin Moran. Okay, there's Colin Moran out to dinner. I was like, oh, that's funny. Oh, the pirates are off. They're home. Okay, it's normal to see Comrade. I was like, wait a minute. I think that other guy we saw was Clay Holmes. <laughs> and I was like, damn, I recognize Clay Holmes and street clothes. Yikes. And it was, in fact, Clay Holmes. I confirmed that. And then, so then, obviously, we're laughing about this. We're like, wow, we saw two pirates. This is funny. Like, who are we going to see? You know, we're going to see uh, Adam Frazier on the way home. Five minutes later, who else walks? Well, there's Brian Reynolds. <laughs> so I saw three pirates separately out on their uh, having their their day off in the span of about half an hour. And I recognize Clay Holmes in street clothes. And that is my ugla. That is why I'm here on this earth to recognize Clay Holmes in street clothes. Clay, I hope you had a good night. Unbelievable. Uh, that is that is a problem, <laughs> Jordan. You need another hobby. Uh, all right, there we go. Uh, I didn't. Uh, I, by the way, I didn't say anything to these guys for the record. I was just like, "Oh, that's funny." You, if you had asked Clay Holmes for an autograph in street clothes, I think that would have made his year. What would you say? Like, there's not enough to say to make oh, it worth man. interrupting their off day. The pride of Slocum, Alabama. Clay, good to see you out here. <laughs> hey, Clay, really solid sixth inning when you guys were down nine to four last week. It was really. Uh, When's Fraser going to get traded? <laughs> anyway, so then Brian, uh, Brian Reynolds homered uh, each of the next two games. So looks like he was doing well. All right. Uh, that's my ugly. You know who Clay Holmes probably knows, Jordan? This is not for anyone listening and just for us. Probably knows Tim Holsey, Enterprise State <laughs> Community College. He's down in, he's from Dothan. Oh, the bow weevil. Right. You got the bow weevil. Okay. The bow weevil. All right. If you want to Google that, you can. Uh, that's it. What is going we on? We did the podcast. Oh, Jake, we have one more thing we want to talk about. Last thing. Last thing. Last thing. Bobby, last thing. I went to say a, goodbye. I went to a baseball game. I went to a baseball game with Bobby Wagner and some other people. And that's a generous interpretation of what actually happened. Uh, it was went a Dodger to game. a baseball it was, game. It was the opening, uh, reopening day, full capacity opening day at Dodger Stadium. Bobby Wagner uh, lives about five miles away from Dodger Stadium. He left four and, his, and a half. Four and a half. He left his house at five thirty p.m. I saw him in our seats at nine p.m. Nine p.m. It took Bobby. It took Bobby three and a half hours to get from his house to his seat at Dodger Stadium. Uh, there was a I, lot of people in the mentions, uh, LA explaining to me as if I haven't been to dozens of Dodgers games since moving here three years ago. I know how long it should typically take. Uh, Dodger Stadium decided they were only going to open one gate for this game to get into the parking lot. Now, maybe my mistake was driving at all, but you know, I had a, had reasons to drive. I didn't want to take an Uber. I took uh, I took an Uber until I got into bumper to bumper, and then myself and friend of the show Clinton Yates walked about a mile and a half 
uh, it was an exceptional. It was an exceptional. But I would like to offer an apology to all Dodger fans who have ever been made fun of for being late to the game. It's not a a choice. I think for most people, sure there are folks in LA who enjoy showing up in the third and leaving in the seventh. Every fan base has that. LA maybe a little bit more, but I would say the majority of Dodgers fans who do not show up at first pitch are not showing up at first pitch because LA is a parking lot. Okay. And that sometimes is sometimes it's just an act of God. You know, like sometimes you just have to submit to the will. Force du jour, baby. That's all it is. And I needed to sit in that traffic myself to really understand understand that plight. And now I do. And so I'm offering a formal apology to all Dodgers fans who have ever been late to a Dodger game. It's not you, it's Los Angeles. There I'm going go. to another Dodgers game this Friday. I'm just gonna jog it from my apartment. You should. You'd be way better off. Get the workout in, and you won't have the the mental, the mental, the physical strain of jogging to Dodger Stadium. <laughs> you you got to make a day. You make a day out of it. Myself yeah. and Clinton hopped out of the Uber. I have the, a job. We picked up. We picked. <laughs> we picked up Burger King on the way. Hashtag ad. You know, it's not like I was just chilling at home from two thirty on. Like waiting. Like, I like, have I'm a job. Gonna... <laughs> I don't know, Bobby. No, Bobby. Sounds like uh, sounds like an excuse. All right, Jake Mitz. Thank you for that formal apology. Thank you to Kyla McDaniel for joining us to talk about Wander Franco. I hope everyone enjoys Wander Day. Thank you to Bobby Wagner for producing. Thank you to Mike Wargon for helping to produce this podcast. Thank you to um, you, Jake Mintz, for co-hosting this pod with me. Anything, any final words before we say goodbye? Yeah, I just got a, a, a message from a source uh, who says, FYI, Bobby's not actually going to jog it from the apartment. So <laughs> probably Bobby's hey. girlfriend. Hey, I have I oh one more thing. Um, obviously, we are aware that Shohei Otani is amazing. We will continue to talk about him next week. Don't you worry. Have a good week, everyone. Talk to you soon. Goodbye.